Amen. Church family, let's continue to worship as we open uh, the Word of God together. If you would join me in the book of Revelation. We began this uh, sermon series we've entitled together on September the 12th. It was our kind of uh, official call to regather uh, as best we could in light of, of all that we had been through and are still going through in some senses with, uh, with COVID. And in this journey of considering what brings us together, what calls us together as a church, we have spent considerable time answering the, the why question. So the why principles of scripture, why does the truth of scripture and what does it say about why we gather as the people of God? Uh, the last three weeks, we have considered what we come together to do uh, as we come together to, to worship. We come together to study the word of God together. And thirdly, we come together to join in the work of prayer uh, together. And so today we will end this uh, little over two month journey uh, by considering the question, when? So when do we come together to do all of these things? And the answer to that that we'll see in, in light of God's word today is we come together now, today, November 21st. Um, it's now and forever that we uh, as Christians living when we live in light of when we live, uh, we live in, in the reality of the both and of the here and now and the once for all forever and all eternity uh, with Jesus. So that's, our, that's our aim uh, in our time together in the word today. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you and, and God, as we begin, we confess our, our need for you. Lord Jesus, for us to, to truly hear from you this morning, there's a real sense that we have to get out of the way. And so, God, whatever you, we came into this room with, Lord, that you need to remove. God, that's on our heart and on our mind. God, the distractions of life. God, we offer them to you with open hands and say, Lord Jesus, for the next few moments, we want to gather underneath the truth of your word. God, by the power of your spirit, God, to be changed and transformed and renewed. So, Lord, for the next few minutes, would you grant us, God, eyes to see, God, what is ours in the reality that we will be together forever, but God, also what is ours in this moment, God, in this day, as we live into the here and now of the eternal promises of God. So God, bring all that together in a way that's honoring to you, that's glorifying to you, and in a way that helps us look more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of, of Revelation written by John, probably one of the most peculiar books in the New Testament. It's apocalyptic in, in nature. It's revealed in a vision to John, um, and it's a picture of all eternity in some senses. Um, it's not the only picture of what eternity will, will be like, uh, but it is a, a, a primary way in which we see and sense and understand what will be ours forever with Jesus. There's much debate about books and articles and opinions on how all this will play out. And in all that, I think sometimes we're tempted to lose sight of the reality that it will play out. Right? And so let's not get ahead there and, and, and let's live into the moment and into the reality that all these truths that we see, all these things that we hold dear in our heart 
our temptation is to strategize as to where we are in light of them or how we can better understand them without just pausing and being thankful for them. But this is how this story ends. And regardless of how God and his sovereign mind and sovereign will plays this out, uh, we joyfully as Christians get to share in that reality. In some senses, it's Thanksgiving week, right? So I'm sure you're bringing out your favorite recipes that you'll follow on Thursdays, right? In some senses, we get too concerned with the ingredients and we miss the true outcome of this. And so what we want to do today is we want to lift our eyes to the outcome of the meal and trust God that this recipe that he gives us in Scripture is sufficient to produce within us and produce for us what his word says that it will. The beautiful text of Scripture today that shows us how we are together forever and how that reality, that truth, shapes the here and now of our hearts and lives uh, this morning. And so we'll see three ways, I believe, Revelation chapter 7 shows us and teaches us a picture of forever uh, that also changes our present tense reality. So we see a, a picture of eternity that shapes our present reality. And the first we see in verses 9 through 12 is that we are together forever, and in so doing, we live in right relationships. The, one of the things that we hang on to and hold on to for all eternity is that eternity will hold for us right relationship. Let's see how this is described in verses 9 through 12. John writes, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 10, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful passage of scripture that shows a great multitude of people gathered around one particular throne with one particular message. There's great unity here in spite of the diversity of the folks that are gathered. There's a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples and all languages. Their number is truly countless, and yet the nations gathered before them are truly complete. So we have in this moment, we see a countless number of people from the complete number of nations who've gathered around the throne to worship God. Where are they gathered? It's helpful here. They are before the throne and before the Lamb. They're gathered and they're before the throne, a picture of God's sovereignty over all of life, that he is king and he sits enthroned. But they're also before the lamb, the lamb of God who was shed for the forgiveness of their sins. It's that picture of the throne that calls them. I would say for us today, the throne and the lamb are the only things that have the power to bring us, to lead us, and to call us into right relationship with God. It's the complete picture of unity in the midst of diversity. And for some of us, because we've been too informed by culture and not informed enough by the word, we kind of shiver at that thought even. 
But the reality is it's, it's true and it should be attractive to us. That before the throne and before the lamb that we see in light of all creation, that we stand united in our call that Christ is Lord and God is enthroned in our hearts and in our lives. And in, in Christ, this call can be and will be yours forever. But it's one of those things that doesn't have to just wait until that last lap to enjoy it. There's a, a sense of this right relationship with God and with man that we can enjoy now. And we see it played out all in the context of Scripture, the great commandment, the Shema of the Old Testament. All of these things are, are teaching our heart to be formed and filled by the idea of a vertical love with God and a horizontal love from man to man. Our pursuit of right relationship, even here and now, is a picture of the true right relationship that will be ours forever with Christ. And apart from the throne and the Lamb, we cannot even live in right relationship with one nation, with one tongue, and with one people. You don't believe me? Turn on the news. Right? You see, so there, there is an otherworldly call that we see here that is ours in Christ. That we come before the throne of God, we come before the Lamb of God, and all of a sudden our eyes can see more clearly the life and love that he has called us to. And the hope of heaven is that it doesn't have to be this way. Like sometimes we look around in life and in world and in culture, and the deepest cry of our hearts as Christians as we see the brokenness around us should be, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, there is a better way. And we know it in our hearts. The struggle is to live it with our hands. We want to live into the reality, the call to live in right relationship with God. But don't miss this. What brings this multitude of people together? They're not getting together for Thanksgiving. They're not getting together for a big family reunion where they all have matching T-shirts and give each other these family high fives all the time. What brings them together? Verse 10. What are they saying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. You see, they haven't gathered together to talk about how great their political party are, or they haven't gathered together to talk how great capitalism is in this particular economic system and how much they can prosper. They haven't gathered together around any unity within any social reform. Or, no, no, they've gathered together to proclaim the greatness that salvation has been given to them. It's where the true unity of heart Lies. It's the true reality of bringing the vertical to the horizontal, that right relationship with God leads to right relationship with man. And that if you do not get the vertical relationship right, you will never get the horizontal relationship right. And if you don't have the horizontal relationship right, that's probably a picture that you don't have the vertical, the vertical relationship right. Oftentimes we like to pick one. We say, well, you got to get the vertical one right first. Well, that's true. But if you have the vertical, vertical relationship right, guess what also is right? Horizontal relationship. And so what we see here is the call before the throne of God is that there will be once for all, forever, right relationship. And in these verses, we see it all to come together because look, verse 11 is heaven's response to those who are from earth and on earth, right? You see, they've all gathered together, proclaimed salvation belongs to our God. And look at how they respond in verse 11. 
and the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And what did they do? And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. We see this holistic picture. Heaven and earth come together, vertical and horizontal come together. And what do they say whenever they come together? Verse 12, amen. You know what the word amen means? It's a a, a sign of agreement. So when you say amen after someone's prayer, you're saying, I agree with what you just prayed. And so the picture here is we literally have all of heaven (laughs) and all of earth gathering together to say amen. And what do they say amen to? Blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and might be unto our God. That's ours forever as children of God. That one day, even in the broken promises of this earth, we know that one day we will join with all of creation and say amen the blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might that is only and rightly due to our God. And it all hinges on that word, amen. That they are standing together and they are standing in agreement. That they truly are together forever in right relationship. So this is ours for forever. And yet we've gathered in worship as the body of Christ, First Baptist Church, November 21st of 2021. You see, we gather together because we believe the promise that we don't have to wait to heaven to enjoy right relationship. Like we gather as the church to see all the walls that culture builds up around us and the world builds up around us. We gather together as the church to see the power of the gospel tear those down. It's the pattern of the New Testament that God has given us the truth of his word and the power of his spirit. And we share that together as the body of Christ. And we are called to be together in right relationship. So you do not have to wait for eternity to enjoy this. God gave us the church because we shouldn't. What we do in the church is we take this playbook that God has given to us on on how to live in right relationship, and we put it into practice in our marriages, in our relationships, in our understanding of grace and forgiveness and unity, in the struggles of sin that we walk through in life. We don't depart this saying, well, I guess I'll just wait to heaven, so get it all figured out up there. Like God has given us his word and each other so that we can live into this reality now. It's why John writes in the gospel of John, that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, the love that we have, present tense, is a foreshadowing and a foretaste of the love that will be ours forever one day in heaven with Christ. When we too are gathered before the throne of God, and before the Lamb of God, and rightly declare together the worship that belongs only to him. And so you see, we must hold today in this church, in any church, in the capital C church, that right relationship is worth fighting for. Why? Because right relationship inside the church is the witness of the church outside the church. So we live into this. We walk into this, even when it's uncomfortable. 
because it's worth it. Bible tells us and teaches us that we are a picture of this to the world around us. And this is hard work. It's not modeled well for us anywhere. Not culture, not society, not anywhere except for in the context of Scripture. And if you know me well, or if you know one another well, like we all bring our challenges into this. Like if you follow or know anything about the Enneagram personality test, like I'm an Enneagram number nine. That doesn't mean anything to you. That means that as the very core of who I am, I'm, I'm a peacemaker and my heart is, at, is not at rest when things are not at rest. And it's the natural way that God has wired me, but the call of the scripture is like we have to live into that because we believe that us coming together as the body to live into right relationship is a good and right thing to do because right relationship in the church is our best witness to the world around us. So that begs the question, where in your life is there fragmented relationship? Who in your life is there brokenness, a barrier of brokenness? Or in our church, who or where within our body, the body of Christ, is there brokenness? You see, we are together forever in right relationship, and the call of that reality is to do the right thing the right way and to walk this out in obedience one to another. This right relationship that we will share together, Revelation 7, right relationship is ours now. So the call for us this morning is to live into the forever that is ours in Christ, in this moment, in in the here and now that is ours within the church. Revelation 7 paints a picture for us of how we can live into right relationship together forever. But secondly, we see that in this picture, there is also final restoration. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. There's a picture in Revelation 7 that there is for us forever final restoration that God really does make all things new. And the picture here is those that are coming out of the great tribulation. Who are these people gathered, he asked. Those are those who are coming out of the great tribulation. And as lovingly and as pastorally as I possibly can, maybe one pushback in cultural Christianity would be to say this, that we spend too much time debating the timing or length of the tribulation, and we miss the fact that we come out of it. Like, if you're pre-trib, post-trib, a-trib, amillennial, post-millennial, whatever, whatever category you want to describe yourself with, However you think that you figured out the book of Revelation, the reality is we come out. Like we're not defined or described by that way of living anymore. And however the end times play out, I'm coming out, right? And in that place, there is final and perfect restoration for me. So how does this happen? Because I will stand before God and I will not put my hat on my resume I will not hang my hat on how successful of a business I ran, how many friends I had, how well my family loved one another. I will hang my hat that all my filthy, filthy rags, that the blood of Jesus has washed them white as snow. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21 describes this beautiful transaction. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Christ has accomplished for us, we can take our filthy rags and trade them in for the righteousness of God. Why? Because we have been washed white by the blood of the Lamb. So we gather around the throne and we gather unto the Lamb because we have been washed, we have been cleaned, that we are finally, perfectly, and fully restored by the blood of the Lamb. My spiritual gift is not doing laundry. And I say that not to get out of it. I don't think. I just don't like it. I, I just, it's, it's a burdensome and I always miss something. Something goes in the dryer that shouldn't go in the dryer. I miss a stain that should have been washed or scrubbed or whatever. But you know, some of those stain fighting things are fascinating to me. It's just fascinating. It doesn't matter what the girls get into. If you rub this little, I don't even know what kind of stick we have, but if you rub this kind of stick with this blue jelly substance on it and you scrub it real good, you put it in the washing machine and it comes out. I don't know how that happens. But you know what happens is that's a delicate process, right? I don't just walk in there with a squirt bottle, close my eyes, and try to shoot the stains like this and hope I hit something, right? It's a gentle, thorough scrubbing of that stain. And far too often, we think the forgiveness that has been applied to us in Christ is random and distant. But what we see about the reality of the picture that we see in this final restoration is that every single stain, every single stain, Every single one of them, not just generally applied like you're rolling paint on with a paintbrush. No, they're scrubbed, and they are scrubbed until they are white by the blood of the Lamb. It's this picture of this loving grace that has been applied to you. And the call of our heart and the call of our life is that we are to live into that scrubbing here and now. Because one day this reality will be true for us. That final restoration is ours together forever. Verse 13 says that we come out. Look, corporately, we come out. It's a plural word. They, we come out together. Verse 14, we are clean together. Why? Because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Brings back the rich words of that old hymn. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? My favorite thing about that hymn is talking present tense. Have you been? Are you there? Have you been historically? And right now, are you trusting in this moment for his grace this hour? prophet Isaiah says it like this, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, what shall they become, church? They shall become white as snow. If full and final restoration is ours one day in Christ, then why are we so content to wear our stains within the body of Christ? And you see the dichotomy of that picture? You see, our unwillingness to live into, you remember how Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So if this is the picture, what heaven is going to be like, then Jesus teaches us to pray for these things to exist on earth as they are in heaven. 
And so our unwillingness to live into this is like showing up with stains on and bragging about the stain stick that we have on sitting on top of our washing machine. You see, we have access to be made clean. We have access for our sin to be washed white as snow. And yet we, maybe we just kind of look the other way sometimes when wrong happens or we don't recognize it or maybe we just pretend like if it doesn't exist, it'll just go away. But the picture here is now that we willfully and joyfully, we come together and we seek final restoration in the here and now because it is ours once for all, forever, that we are forgiven and free. And our robes have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so the call on our hearts and the call on our life is this, that we live into the forever that is ours in the church with the here and now that is ours. You see, it's a both and that we can cling to this promise and we can also live into the promise, the promise of right relationship, the promise of final restoration third thing that we'll see is verses 15 through 17 is that we are together forever in perfect rest. Verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That we gather together because we know and we believe that perfect rest is ours in Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 calls out to us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think in these four verses, we see four aspects of our rest that's forever ours in Christ. The first is we will rest in our place before God. Look at verse 15, that we are before the throne of God, and from that place we serve him day and night, that for all eternity we will be for, together forever, and our eternity will be spent before the throne of our God. Because that's true for us, there is rest here. Like you are tempted to put your life on the throne of so many altars, you are tempted to worship so many idols. But for us, the call of God on our heart and life is that we can rest knowing that for all. Ever, we will rest in our place before God. Secondly, we can rest in the presence of God. Look at the end of verse 15. He who sits on the throne will do what? Shelter them with his presence. There's rest for us there. In the presence of God, there is shelter for his people that God's presence with us will be shelter for us. I recently attended a, a funeral and listened to a 45-minute sermon of a pastor trying to convince the audience how good hell was and how, or excuse me, how good heaven was and how bad 
hell was. And in his argument, he never once mentioned the presence of Jesus. Like, listen, I want to go to heaven because God is there. And I don't really know if after I see Jesus, if I'll want to see anybody else. So I don't really know if my, well, I think I do know, my pets will be there or if the saints who gone before me will be there. All I know is once I truly and finally look Jesus in the eyes, I'm pretty convinced that I won't care anymore. There's rest there. There is shelter there because God is there. And you see, that's the hope of our heart as we gather in worship. We try to engage and create an atmosphere of worship that you can commune with God week in and week out. And in our broken attempts and the brokenness that you bring into that equation, like here is the reality that we are promised rest forever, the presence of God. The third piece of rest we see here is we see rest in the provision of God. Verse 16, there is no more hunger, no more thirst, no more heat, no more eastern North Carolina humidity or mosquitoes. There is perfect provision in the presence of God, perfect, full, and final satisfaction that will only come in the presence of God. Fourth piece, there is rest in his protection. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, don't skip those first two phrases and jump to the third one. They're all three good. The lamb will be their, plural, shepherd. There's great news for you, First Baptist Church, is that one day you will no longer have a bearded, bald, imperfect shepherd. One day, the Son of God will be the one that shepherds you through all eternity. And where will he take you? He'll take you to the streams of living water. You remember that water that Jesus promised that woman at the well? It's yours forever. And you don't have to worry about how to get there. Jesus himself will shepherd you there. And that reality will forever change the way that we read the 23rd Psalm. You see, and that's not just true for us when we die and get to heaven. Listen, God doesn't change when we die. He is the same. And so we can live into this rest, into this relationship right now. It's ours forever in Christ. Because you see, it's in that moment that God will wipe away every tear from your eye. It's not just the no longer existing of bad things. It's the existence of better things. And so what happens here is that in that place, God will wipe away every tear from your eye, that there will one day be no more sickness. There'll be no more health scares, no more cancer, no more surgery, no more weird diseases that are impossible to diagnose. There'll be no more sin, no more temptation, no more heartache or heartbreak. That all the tears that we have ever cried, all the sadness we've ever felt, all the grief we've struggled to process will be lost in the greatness of God. It 
St. Augustine says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, this invitation into rest isn't just found on the Sabbath. It isn't just found for all eternity. It's found in your heart, in your life, every single day. And so when we throw around the word together as a church, what we're trying to capture is what is ours forever that we can also live into this moment of this day because this is what awaits us. And we don't have to wait until we die to enjoy it. It's the call for us today. Let's live into the forever that is ours in Christ with the here and now that is ours as a church. So this together forever idea, it's not just our hope. Revelation 7 says it's our promise. And so we hope in this promise. And it's in this hope that we begin to see the present tense church with a different light because of this forever hope that we have in Christ. So the question that we have to ask as we close today is this, is do you have this forever hope? It's found in the Lamb of God, the perfect sinless Son of God who shed his blood so that your garments could be washed white as snow. The invitation into relationship this morning with God is made possible by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for you. And the good news for all of us today is this, that there is no sin too great, nor is there a stain too messy, that the blood of Jesus Christ Christ cannot wash white as snow. And it's on the premise of that invitation that we then ask the question, well, what do we do? Those gathered today, those who've placed our hope and faith in Jesus for the salvation from our sins, the reality is this, that we are together now as the body of Christ because we are a part of the forever bride of Christ. And so the invitation for us today and every week, we live into and we have an invitation into what this is, is a divine dress rehearsal that we are practicing. We are rehearsing what is ours forever in Christ. Listen, we're not trying out for the team. Like we're on the team. We have the playbook What we're doing week in and week out as we walk with Jesus is we are practicing what God has put into place for us and on our behalf. We have a real opponent and the game is coming and all we're doing is getting ready. So let's frame this in the context of this sermon series that we've walked through. That we, whenever we seek unity, what we are doing is we are rehearsing. When we seek right relationship with God and with one another, we are rehearsing the right relationship that is ours forever. When we seek restoration or, or seek forgiveness or we, we seek rest before God, we seek the presence of God, we are rehearsing what is ours forever with God. And these promises become true because this rehearsal for us just becomes worshipful obedience. And I would argue it is this rehearsal that the church was made for. That we come together and we show the world in what we do and how we do it, 
that this is ours forever, and it's so good that we don't want to wait for forever to enjoy it. So we live our lives enjoying it together, that we are a kingdom outpost of the kingdom that is to come. So every time we gather together, worship, study the word, and do the work of prayer, we are rehearsing being together forever. And it is a picture of God's kingdom and not our own. And that, and that is why being together is so important as a church. It's because it's who we were and are created to be. So we are the church and we are together forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what you have accomplished for us on the cross, we could not accomplish on our own. And Father, it is so easy for us to to read Revelation 7 and to be captivated with all eternity. And Lord, see that as disconnected for who we are right here and right now. But Lord Jesus, your invitation to us and for us is an invitation to come and to behold you. God, because it's beholding you that we will do for all eternity. And Lord Jesus, as we gather and intentionally do so together, we gather to make much of you, to make much of your name, and to remember what you've done and accomplished for us on the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, captivate our hearts for all eternity. But God, fill our hearts with passion for today, for this moment, for this church, for this work you've called us to. Because we are together, and we want to live that out in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you. So, Lord Jesus, be honored in this time as we respond to you, Lord, as we come together to behold you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you?